everybody. In the uh, in the last episode, I gave you the mythographic background to the um, letter of Phyllis to Demophoon, talked about who Phyllis is and uh, who that no good snake Demophoon was, and uh, told you sort of what the uh, mythographers Apollodorus and Hyginus had to say about it, and read the first uh, fifty or so lines. Uh, today, I want to. Uh, finish off this poem and um, give you a sort of brief comment on each section and then read my own literal translation and then uh, then read the Latin for you. Before I get started, uh, don't forget if you want to join me and uh, Chun Liu of Peking University to read several of uh, Ovid's Heroides in, a, uh, in an online workshop, that's coming up in mid-July, so there's still time to sign up for that. I've got um, a link in the show notes for you that will uh, uh, send you to the right spot. All right, so uh, Phyllis compared, if you compare Phyllis to say Dido, you know, that other great abandoned queen who Ovid probably has in the back of his mind here, uh, Phyllis is relatively young and naive um, compared to the much more experienced, you know, <laughs> Dido's been through some things and she, that her character is, is just different. Uh, but Ovid, I think very nicely makes Phyllis self-conscious about that, about her own youth and naivety. She refers to her simplicitas in this section. Uh, and she um, nicely makes that another charge against Demophon. Says, you know, you should have had regard for um, the fact that I was so young. She speaks frankly about the loss of her virginity and um, wishes that she had died before that night. Uh, this is, of course, preparing us for her coming suicide, which happens right after the end of the letter. All right, so this is lines uh, 49 to 64. We believed, or really should be I believed, I believed in your pleasant words of which you had a goodly supply. I believed in your lineage and your names. So that's very literal. She, she means his family tree, that is his profession of divine parentage. I believed in your tears, or are those two taught to pretend. She seems unaware that, you know, one can cry on demand. So she's like, what? We, was this fakery? We believed, I believed in your tears, or are those too taught to, taught to simulare, to um, pretend things? Do tears also have skills, artes, uh, and go where they are bidden? We believed also, uh, I believed also in the gods, that is his oaths by the gods. What good are all those pledges now? I could have been taken in sufficiently by any part of them you want. Any aspect of your deception would have been sufficient. You didn't have to add at all. I am not moved because I helped you with harbor and lodging. Um, this should have been the full extent of my services to you. She says, I don't, I don't regret um, giving you harbor. That would, you know, but that's, I wish that we'd stopped at that. I regret disgracefully piling hospitality onto the marriage bed and joining my side with yours. So this is the not very euphemistic euphemism, lateri conservise latus, to have sort of inserted my side on your side, to your side. Uh, I would prefer that the night before that happened had been my last night, while I could still die as an honest Phyllis. I hoped for something better because I thought that I deserved it. Whatever hope comes based on merit this comes fairly. Deceiving a credulous girl is not difficult. Naivete deserves goodwill. Favore. Simplicitas digna favore fuit. All right, so that's lines 49 to 64. Here's the Latin for you. Credidimus blandis quorum tibi copia verbis. 
credimus generi, nominibusque tuis, credimus lacrimis, han et hae simulare docentur, hae quoque habent artes, quaque jubentur eunt, dis quoque credimus, quo iam tot pigdre nobis, parte satis potui qualibet inde capi. Nec moveor, quod te iui portuque locoque, debuit haec meriti summa fuise mei. Turpiter hospitium lecto cumulase jugali painitet et lateri conservise latus. Quae fuit antilam, malem suprema fuiset nox mihi, dum potui fullis honesta mori. Speravi melius, quia me meruise putavi, quae cumquex merito spes venit, aequa venit. Fallere credentem non est operosa puellam gloria, Simplicitas digna fuore fuit. In the next section, uh, this is lines 65 to 80, uh, Phyllis hopes that Demophilon is shamed to have his statue among the statues of his ancestors back in Greece, especially that of his father Theseus. So the, the conceit here is that Theseus's family has like Roman style imagines, uh, the portraits of male members of the line with inscriptions. Uh, and so she kind of imagines what it's going to be like to have his portrait amongst those. Um, the, these statues, Ovid make clear, are in public, right, in the middle of the city, in the agora, as they would be in a Greek city. Uh, but the fact that they are in a family group is an allusion to Roman custom. So it's interesting kind of blending of Greek and Roman here. It, for the Romans, right, the images were kept in the atrium, and one of their main functions is to sort of harass the younger generation, uh, you know, and get them to encourage them to live up to the exempla of their distinguished forebearers. Um, so Phyllis interestingly puts on the voice of a sort of censorious Roman elder here and compares Demophilon to his father. You're, you're not half the man your father was in a uh, sort of interesting, slightly humorous way. In the process, there's a reference to several of Theseus's most famous labors. Um, these are these various bandits and bad guys that Theseus conquers on his way to Athens, Skyron, Procrustes, and Sinus. Uh, and then, in a nice move, she, she finishes up this little catalog by bitterly pointing out that the only achievement in which Demophilon imitated his father was in his father's abandonment of Ariadne on Naxos. And uh, so this is a, just a beautiful rhetorical moment. She says, I was taken in by your words as a lover and as a woman, amants et femina. May the gods bring it about that this is the full extent of your glory. May you be set up in the middle of the city among the descendants of Aegeus. May your magnificent father stand in front with his inscriptions. When Skyron will have been read about, when people read about Skyron after they do that, and grim Procrustes and Sinus, and the mixed form of man and bull, of course the Minotaur, and Thebes conquered in war, and the hybrid men defeated, 
that's the um, the centaurs, the battle with the centaurs, and the dark place of the black god disturbed. This is a lovely phrase. This is a Theseus at one point goes to the underworld, like a lot of Greek uh, heroes, and the way Ovid expresses that is pulsata nigri regia kaika dei, when the um, the realms of the black, dark realms of the black god had been disturbed, pulsata, like he's pounding on the door. Um, right, so when people read about all of that, behind those, your image will be inscribed with the following title, following, you know, in inscription. This is the man by whose deceit an enamored female host was captured. He guessed quius amans hospita capta dolo est. And there's the special bitterness in that dolo. Uh, right, of all the crowd of your father's deeds and accomplishments, it was the abandonment of the Cretan girl that made an impression on your mind. Sated in ingenio. Sort of inspired him. He was in the idea is he was inspired by that. Uh, the only thing you admire in him is the one thing he apologizes for. Traitor. You are acting as the inheritor of your paternal deceit, of your father's deceit. That woman, Ariadne, I do not begrudge her. She enjoys a better husband and sits high on caparisoned tigers, capistratis tigribus. So this is, a, of course, a reference to the fact that Ariadne, when abandoned on Naxos by Theseus, is rescued by Dionysus. I think it's also a, a reference to art here because it, a lot of times in art, Dionysus is depicted riding a chariot pulled by tigers that he picked up in India. So he's returning from the east in triumph with these tigers and he has this massive retinue, including satyrs and menads and, um, and, and Ariadne. So I think for a Roman reader, they might have, that would click up for a very distinct visual image. All right, uh, here's the Latin for that section. Sum decepta tuis et amans et femina verbis defaciant. Laudis summa sit ista tuae. Inter et aegidas medias tuaris in urbe, magnificus titulis stet pater ante suis. Cum fueret sciron lectus, torusque procrustes, et sinis et tauri mixta que forma vidi, et domitae bello tebae, Fusique bimembres, et pulsata nigri regia caeca dei, hoc tua post illus titulo signetur imago, hic est quius amans hospita capta dolo est. De tanta rerum turba factisque parentes, sedit in ingenio cressa relicta tuo, Quod solum excusat, solum miraris in illo, he redem patriae perfide fraudis agis. Illa, nec in video, fruitur meliora marito, inque capistratis tigribus alta sedet. Okay, well now Phyllis imagines what the people of Thrace are saying about her. Uh, not her parents, interestingly, she's treated as fully independent uh, and able to confer the kingdom of Thrace on whomever she wishes. Um, but as with Dido, uh, now that she has preferred a foreigner, she worries that no Thracian will have her. Um, her response is 
response to this imagined criticism is that um, you cannot judge the wisdom of an act by its results. She points out that if Demophilon had come back, all the Thracians would be praising her political savvy. And she goes on to recall his words at their parting. And this is a key part of the myth that he made, that Demophilon makes all these promises and vows uh, that um, you know Abbott had to include that as an important part of the of the story. All right, so this is lines uh, 81 to 102. She says, um, but the Thracians I rejected flee marrying me, you know, fugiunt conubia conubia mea, because I am commonly said to have preferred an outsider to my own people. And someone says, let her now go to learned Athens. There will be another man who will rule weapon-bearing Thrace, Armiferam Thracen. Of course, Thrace has a reputation for being very warlike. The outcome, this is the imagined quote, the outcome is the measure of our actions. Exitus acta probat, says a kind of proverbial ring to it. Whoever supposes that deeds should be judged on the basis of their results, I hope such people will lack success. But if our seas were foaming with your oars, I would now be being said to have taken into account the interests of my people. So the word there is consuise meis. To, that's what leaders do. They consulo their, uh, the people that they're uh, charged with leading. Right? So she would have, people would be singing a different tune if he had come back. But I did not take their interest into account. She sort of admits now. Uh, nor will the thought of my palace touch you, nor will you bathe your weary limbs in Thracian waters. Yeah, but that's a little hard to interpret there. Nekte um, meorigia tanget. Some people interpret that literally like the, you won't be back physically in my palace or maybe it's mental, like the thought of that will not touch you. It's a little unclear. The sight of you leaving clings in my mind. Um, literally, it, it clings in my eyes, so meis oculis species abiuntus in hyret, when the fleet about to depart crowded my harbor. You dared to embrace me, and entwined about the neck of your lover, you dared squeeze me and give me lingering kisses, to mix your tears with mine, to complain that the breeze was favorable to your sailing, that is to say that you know, to say that he's sorry, that it's too bad that the winds are favorable, and to say these final words to me as you left. Phyllis, make sure you wait for Demophon. Fac expectes demophonta tuum. Then she turns on him. You know, wait? Expect him? Expect him? Uh, for one who left me, never intending to return? Am I to wait for sails denied return to my sea? And yet, I am waiting. You know, et tamen expecto. Only return to your lover, though late, so that your promise will have slipped only in respect of its timing. Right, so she pivots a little bit from sort of anger to desperation. At mea despecti fugiunt co nubia thraces, quod ferar externum prae posuisse meis, at qualiquis Iam nunc doctas eat, inquit Atenas. Armiferam thracen qui regat alter erit, exitus acta probat. 
Cariat successibus opto. Quis quis ab eventu facta notanda putat. At si nostra tuo spumescant aequre remo, iam mihi, iam dicar consluisse meis. Sed neque consului, nec te mea regia tanget, fessaque bistonia membra lauabis aqua. Illa meis oculis, species abeuntis in hairet, cum premeret portus, classis itura meos. Ausus es amplecti, coloquin fusus amantis, oscula per longas, iungre pressa moras. Cumque tuis lacrimis, lacrimas confundre nostras, quodque foret vedis, aura secunda query. Et mihi discedens suprema dicere voce, filli fac expectes de mufoonta tuum. Expectem? Qui me numquam visurus abisti? Expectem pelago, vela negata meo? Et tamen expecto, Redeas modo serus amanti, ut tua sit solo tempore lapsa fides. In the next section, this is lines uh, 104 to 120, Phyllis turns up the rhetorical heat. Uh, now, Apollodorus, as you'll recall, says that uh, Phyllis cursed Demophilon. Um, in Ovid, she doesn't quite do that the way that Dido curses Aeneas. Um, rather, Ovid has her um, imagining Demophoon back at home in Athens with another woman. Now, remember, according to the myth, Polydorus, Hyginus, uh, he actually settled in Cyprus, but that she, is, of course, doesn't know that. Um, right, so she imagines him back in Athens with another woman and not being quite able to recall her name. And then she gives an indignant list of her services to him and her potential services to him, like things that she would have done if, she, if, she, if he'd come back. Then she returns to this theme of her lost virginity and her mind turns to the underworld as she imagines her uh, wedding, quote unquote, being attended by furies from hell, Electo and Tisiphone. So this line of thought, I think, is more preparation for her coming suicide. So you remember in the, in the last section, she had sort of returned to this pleading tone, but then she checks herself and she says, uh, why am I begging, luckless woman? Another wife already holds you and a love that favors me not. I am already falling out of your mind, I suspect. And you know, no, Phyllis, nullam puto fulida nosti. Alas, if you are asking who Phyllis is and where from, I, who gave Thracian harbor and refuge to you, Demophon, when you had been driven by long wandering, I, whose wealth increased yours, quius opes auxere mei, I, who gave many gifts as a rich person to a destitute one, this is expressed very, very economically in the Latin, qui dives egenti munra multa didi, and was on the point of giving many more. I, who put the wide realm of Lycurgus at your feet, Lycurgus is a Thracian, famous sort of early Thracian king, 
a realm scarcely suitable to be ruled by a female name, where ice-covered Rhodope extends to the shady Hymus, and the sacred Hebrus pushes out a torrent of water. Lovely description of the exotic Thracian landscape. You, Demophon, to whom my virginity was first offered. And the metaphor here is very interesting. Qui meo virginitas abibus libata sinistris. Libo libare is the verb. It means to offer the first fruits of, of a harvest to the gods. So it, it frames it as a kind of sacred act, yeah. Uh, to, all right, so to whom my virginity was first offered with evil omens, sinistris abibus, and by whose deceitful hand the girdle of my chastity was undone. Tisiphone was the maid of honor shrieking at that wedding. And a lonely bird, this is a, I think is an owl here, Dewia Awis, a, a bird who keeps away from the, the road, Dewia Awis. And a lonely bird sang a mournful song. The fury Electo was present with her collar of short snakes, Brevibus Torquata Colubris. I should call up a, uh, a familiar image. Uh, the marriage torches were shaken but lit from a funeral pyre. And this is kind of classic Latin love poetry stuff. Uh, you see this in the Metamorphoses as well. They imagine that the, the torches that are an integral part of the wedding ceremony, you know, when it doesn't go well, it's like, oh, they must have been lit from a funeral pyre. All right, so here's the Latin for that part. Quid precor in felix te jam tenet altere conjux forsitan et nobis qui male favit amor Iam quetibi excidimus, nullam puto fullida nosti, hei mihi, si quae sim filis et unde rogas. Quae tibi demophoon longis erroribus acto, treicios portus hospitiumque dedi, cuius opes axeire meae, qui dives agenti munera multa dedi, Multa datura fui. Quae tibi subieci latissima regna licurgi, nomina femineo, vix satis apta regi. Qua patet umbrosum rodope glaciales ad haimum, et sacer ad misas exigit hebrus aquas. Qui mea virginitas abibus libata sinistris, Casta que fala qui zona recincta manu. Pronubat tisiphone thalamis ululavit in illis, et kekinit maestum devia carmen avis. Ad fuit a lecto brevibus torquata colubris, suntque sepulcrali lumina mota face. The final section uh, comes to an aspect that is emphasized in the mythographic sources, that is, her journey to the beach. Um, you'll recall that Apollodorus says that she accompanied Demophoon as far as a place called the Nine Roads, which seems to be a, a location that's key to the original myth. Uh, Hyginus, or his source, perhaps misunderstanding the Greek, says that she ran down to the shore nine times before killing herself, which is kind of faintly ridiculous. <laughs> like, she's like... I don't know, why not 10 or why not 15? I don't know. Uh, Ovid, much more effectively, has Phyllis wading into the sea. It's very cinematic, hammered by the waves until she falls down 
and is caught by her serving women. Uh, then she imagines herself um, sort of hurling herself into the sea from uh, a pier and then thinks about her body floating to Athens to be found on the shore by Demophilon. In the end, she resolves, like Lucretia, to pay for her loss of honor, uh, pudor is the word, with her life. She contemplates various modes of suicide and ends up, uh, in the very last couplet, writing the epitaph for her own tomb. All right, so let me uh, read the English for this final section. Nevertheless, I sadly tread on the crags and bramble-covered shores, wherever the broad sea lies open to my eyes. Whether the earth is thawing with the daylight or if the chilly constellations shine, I look out to see what wind drives the straits. And whatever linen sails I have seen from afar, immediately I prophesy that those are my gods. Illa meos aguro esse deos. This means that those sails are the answer to her prayers to the gods. Uh, scarcely restrained by the waves, I run forward into the sea, where the shifting sea first extends its waters. The closer they approach, the less I am capable of standing. I faint away, linquor, another unusual Latin idiom. Uh, I faint away and fall to be caught by my serving women. There's a bay. Now she sort of breaks off here to a little description. There's a bay curving gently into the shape of a drawn bow. The ends of the bow bristle with steep moles. In other words, sort of piles of rocks and stuff that they use to define the harbor. From here, it was my intention to hurl my body into the waves below. And because you continue to deceive, it will be. May the waves carry me to your shores and may I unburied offend your eyes. <laughs> so come up and meet your eyes. Uh, though in hardness you surpass iron and adamant, and even yourself, you will say, this is not the way you should have followed me, Phyllis. So there's an interesting sort of rhetorical hyperbole. You're harder than iron, you're harder than adamant, you're harder than yourself. I have often had a thirst for poison, often wanted to die a bloody death pierced by a sword. I would also like to bind my neck in a noose because it, that is my neck, offered itself to be twined in your arms. Yeah. Uh, right. I am determined to atone for modesty which proved frail. You will be inscribed on my tomb as the hateful cause of death. You will be known by this song, Carmen, referring to the epitaph, uh, or something similar. And she quotes it, Phyllis, the lover, was killed by Demophilon, her guest. He provided the reason for her death, she the hand. All right, here's that final section in Latin. Maesta tamen scopulos, fruticos aque litore calco, quaque patent oculis litora lata meis. Siwe die laxator humus, seu frigida lucent sidera, Prospicio, quis freta ventus agat. Et quae cumque procul venientia lintia vidi, protinus illa meos, auguror esse deos. In freta procuro, vix me retinentibus undis, mobile qua primas, porrigit aequor aquas.
quo magis accedunt, minus et minus utilis adsto, linquor, et ancilis excipienda cado. Est sinus, adductos modicae falcatus in arcus, ultima praerupta, cornua mole rigent. Hinc mihi suppositas immitere corpus in undas mens fuit, et coniam falre pergis erit. Ad tua me fluctus projectam liture portent, o curam coculis in tumulata tuis. Dorithia fermut superes, adamantaque teque, non tibi sic dices, fulli sequendus eram. Saepe venedorum sitis est mihi, saepe cruenta traiectam gladio morte perire iuat. Colla coquin fidis quia se nectenda lacertis praebue runt laquiis implicuisse iuat. Stat neque matura tenerum pensare pudorem, in necis electu parva futura morest. Inscribe remeo causa invidiosa sepulcro, aut hoc aut simili carmine notus eris. Fullida demofoon leto dedit hospes amantem, ille neces causam praebuit ipsa manum. Okay, yeah, this is a wonderful rhetorical performance uh, by Ovid and a, and a really memorable heroine. I, I think that one of the, for me, what stands out um, is the way Ovid beautifully neutralizes a lot of factors that might go to diminish your sympathy with Phyllis. Um, you know, I can imagine a reader thinking, well, you know, she's just young and foolish. Well, no, she's actually making her own decisions and um, they are intelligent and moral ones. She she defends herself um, very, very effectively against that criticism. He might have written this, and you think of the reputation of Thrace as being kind of wild country. He might have depicted her as some kind of crazy foreign queen who's, you know, unbalanced in some way, um, or just exotic, you know, and warlike and weird. She's not. She's not warlike, but she's rather hospitable and civilized. She takes him in, and there's this emphasis on her moral rectitude throughout. And you might think, well, it's a bit of an overreaction to commit suicide. You know, life's going to go on, and these things happen. Well, uh, by focusing on her her own self-consciousness about her youth and then her loss of her virginity, that her honor has been compromised, like with Lucretia, it, in the Roman mind anyway, raises this raises the stakes and um, makes it comprehensible and even even admirable for her to commit suicide. So I think it's a uh, it's a marvelous poem, and Ovid really is is um, doing great justice to a. a somebody now who's like a rather obscure heroine, but um, in Ovid's own day was quite quite familiar and, and beloved. All right, hope you enjoyed that. And um, I'm going to keep going with Herodes, so come on back and um, we'll read some more. Thanks, hope you're doing well. Bye-bye.